This is Veterans Voices, Memories and Stories of Minnesota's World War II Veterans. I'm Kevin Berger. When you talk to people from the World War II era, whether they were veterans who served or just, you know, the ordinary citizens from that time, there's a single dramatic event, a date that will always come up. It was the big wake-up call for almost all Americans, including people who are living right here in Minnesota. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this important bulletin from the United Press. Flash, Washington. The White House announces Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Stay tuned to WOR for further development. A lot of people remember hearing the breaking news on the radio and newspapers, as they did in the day. They rushed out special editions, and Americans just couldn't grab that news fast enough. They were horrified as they read about, heard about this surprise attack deeply, deeply disturbed, outraged that 2,400 young American servicemen and women were dead. And just like that, the nation was pulled into war. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Uh, that was a long, long day. It was, was a, a sad day. Coming up, you'll hear from a young Minnesota Marine who was an eyewitness to that attack. I started off at Pearl Harbor. That man was actually on a ship in Pearl Harbor, and... He not only survived to tell the tale, he went on to serve in the Pacific Theater and fight in some of the most storied and brutal battles of the war. But first, I want to tell you about two Minnesota veterans who were inspired to join up to serve, to enlist, because of what happened on that date that will live in infamy, as FDR put it. And this all started back at the day of Pearl Harbor. That's Bill Olson. I never left the radio. I sat there all day long, listening to what was going on. I, I just, I, I couldn't leave it. I just stayed there and listened to everything that's going on. Here he was, this young man, huddled with his family, trying to take in what was, what was unimaginable. I was pretty young yet, but I made myself a promise then and as soon as I could get in the military, I was going. So that's what I did on my birthday. And the story that he tells, I think, is a common one of what was happening in those days in homes all around the U.S. and in Minnesota. I, I quit school. All, all five of us quit school. The three of us did. My older brother... They did the same thing here.
In that era, military service was really an expectation for a lot of young men. And in a lot of families, there was a particular branch of service where they would say, we all join up here. And for Bill, when he enlisted, he came from a Navy family. And so he wanted to be a sailor. And he was. And uh, I had two uncles who were in the Navy. One of them was in submarines. He was my youngest uncle. He didn't come back. That book over here says Hellcats had written about this submarine that he was on. They told us that we were going to go to San Diego for boot training. That sounded pretty good in December. Finally got shipped out and ended up in Key West, Florida. Pretty nice. So that's where the ship was waiting for me, so I was on a submarine tender. The department I was in was heavy metals, and all of our work was done on submarines. We had nothing to do with the ship itself. They had their own crew for taking care of that. My job there was in a heavy metal shop, and it was noisy, noisy, noisy. Everything you touched was noise. And that's where my hearing started going. Now, Bill Olson, he was just a teenager when he heard that news from Pearl Harbor. We've heard about young men like him storming the recruitment centers. They just were so hot and hungry to enlist, to stand up for their country in these days after the attack. Next, I want to tell you about another Minnesota veteran. His name is Herbert Gager. Now, he was a little older. He was already a husband and a father. He was raised on a farm out between Hopkins and Excelsior, when that was still more rural than, of course, it is today. But he'd moved his young family to Fort Worth and was living in Texas at the time of the attack. I was working for Minneapolis Honeywell and decided to join my brother in Fort Worth, Texas, building B-24 bombers. So we worked down there and... Then uh, I decided uh, I had to, after Pearl Harbor event, I decided I had to wave the flag and go join up. Took my wife back home to their son, and uh, I sat around for 45 days waiting to be released by my draft board so I could go out and join the military. I also joined the Marine Corps. And um, when I got done with boot camp, why well, I thought, oh, what did I get into? <laughs> and the uh, there there I was skilled as a tool and die maker and so forth. Uh, and um, I, I just it, it was something to try and keep up with the kids with their rifles. We we were very patriotic, excited. We wanted to go. Gator grew up in one of those musical families where they would be in bands and get together and play. He had some natural ability, it sounds sounded like. And he played the oboe and the clarinet and the saxophone. So his first assignment was in the U.S. Marine Band when he was in boot camp. 
So uh, I, I joined the band at San Diego and uh, we played colors and, and concerts. We also had a dance band and then we would get a chance to go down on Pacific Boulevard and I played with Tommy Dorsey uh, and uh, Benny Goodman, uh, Harry James. We, I knew the big ones, oh man, <laughs> oh man. Uh, um, and uh, it, it, that was a part of my life was the music and the love of it. I think you can hear in his voice how much he loved that, but of course it didn't last. As he said, he had to put down the horn and pick up the stretcher. All of a sudden, uh, I was on my way overseas as a uh, replacement. And uh, we went to Hawaii and then on up to past Saipan and then to Iwo Jima. He was sent to the Pacific Theater. First, he went to Saipan. His assignment was as a stretcher bearer one of the guys that carries the wounded GIs and ferries them back and forth to get treated and, in some cases, to be evacuated. Herb would have just as soon stayed in the band. But in World War II, you didn't really say, here's what I want. Nobody was interested in what uh, a lowly young serviceman thought would be you know, more suited to their aptitude. They were there to make the sacrifices and follow the orders. When, when we got into it, we found it was not so much fun, but there we were. And in the Marine Corps, uh, I learned one thing, and that was absolute obedience. They said, jump. You don't say, why? You say, how high? <laughs> and that was it. Now let's go back to that Minnesota veteran who witnessed the attack on Pearl Harbor. My name is George Vandersloos. I uh, was in the USMC, the Marine Corps. I served from 1940 to 1946. It seems just like yesterday. There aren't too many hanging around anymore that served back in my day. He was raising the flag when he looked up and saw a Japanese plane flying over the harbor. And we were topside tied up to a pier, and right across from us was uh, battleship row. Uh, the Arizona and all the ships were lined up there. It was just off of Fort Island. The Japanese had, uh, they were dive bombers is what they were. And, and right after the dive bombers came in, the torpedo bombers came in. And they just came just, just over our ship. And they dropped one on us. And they missed us, they went through the dock, 
and ricocheted into the into our ship. You know, you would think that that would be the pinnacle of military service, but that was just the beginning for George. Uh, after that attack, his ship went into dry dock, was repaired, and then off he went as the war began in earnest. The first real true operation was uh, Saipan, and uh, that was really our, my first really on the indoctrination into or hill fighting. We were in the first wave. We always seemed to be in the first wave. Uh, the only good part of that was that whatever you were firing at, you weren't firing at your own men, you were firing at the enemy. We were told to bypass all minor resistance. And uh, we really didn't run into any minor resistance. Everything was major to me. As harrowing as that sounds, that's not the only way that George's life was threatened. At the end of the month when he was stationed at Saipan, which was a tropical island in the Western Pacific, he got sick. He became ill with a mosquito-borne fever, and it was the same thing that sickened something like 80,000 Americans who were fighting in the Pacific theater. I contacted... uh dinghy fever, and uh, I was kind of a sick pup. We had a lot of, a lot of the boys had it. It's terrible. <laughs> Crawling a hole and, oh, just fever. I mean, you're really sick to your stomach and everything. And uh, the corpsman would, uh, he'd crawl around and he had pills for us. I don't know what they were. I think there was four of us in my, in my uh, outfit that contacted it. Well, there was no vaccine for the fever that at the time they called it devil's tongue. So all they could do was suffer and sweat it out and, and you know, hope they recovered. And he did. He survived. And once he got better, it's hard to believe it, but they sent him back to battle. And he fought on the island of Tinian and then at the Battle of Iwo Jima. That was after that. They had us scheduled for uh, uh, Okinawa, but our our gang had been beat up so badly that we didn't really weren't a fighting unit after that. So they shipped us back to uh, Hawaiian Islands. George said that for decades he really never spoke of his combat experiences, but in his later years things have shifted. It's easier now to talk about it than it was when we first got out. I, uh, I just dropped the subject. I just wouldn't even discuss it. But uh, in these past years, I've been primed by people like you. I've been asked questions, and you know. <clears throat> I look back and we lost an awful lot of men in my outfit. And so I should, those are the things that you don't care to discuss, you know. You definitely get a sense that George is very proud of his service, that it toughened and strengthened him. He was a a kid from Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, He was a witness to Pearl Harbor, served in the Pacific Theater, six years in the military, was all over the world. And he said that 
even though at the end of his service, that six years, even with everything that had happened to him, he was tempted to, to re-up, to continue to wear the uniform. I came very close to uh, signing up after my six years was up. But being married and had a little boy, I decided I'd better stop all his foolishness and settle down. We recorded those interviews with these World War II veterans in the year 2014. We collected their stories for this recording in the summer of the year 2020. At this time, Sergeant First Class George Vandersloos is 103 years of age. Seaman First Class Bill Olson died in 2016 at the age of 87, and Private First Class and Purple Heart recipient Herbert Gager also died in 2016 at age 95. Veterans Voices is produced by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, and with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, online at minnesotavets.org.